Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And if you're fairly new to the show, I want to expand on that a little bit. There's a story about why we talk about the show through that lens. It's my thesis that we are living in a world right now that is controlled by narcissistic values, traits, and behaviors that are common to people who have what we call cluster B personality disorders. Things like narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. Cluster B, the B cluster, is the cluster of disorders that also includes psychopathy. This show started um, when Kevin and I began to talk about what I saw as the connection between the abuse that I suffered in my family of origin, my mother has both borderline and narcissistic personality disorders. And when I finally cut contact with her, I began to see that the same dynamics that had structured my family life have spilled out into public and political life. I think we are living in the age of the cluster B. Even though only a minority of people are actually fully disordered, all of us are picking up traits of narcissism, passive aggression, and emotional instability. And we are valorizing and praising those behaviors. And that is the lens through which we look at these issues in the show. Because there isn't anyone else out there in a show like this who's doing it. So what are we gonna talk about this week? Well, I'm not gonna say very much about the Russia-Ukraine situation. Why? Well, because you can hear a million people's opinions about that. And I don't know very much about the geopolitics of that region, and I don't know that I can trust anything that I see in the mainstream media, even if I look at competing sources, because you know what? If the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, the Wall Street Journal, and anybody else that we used to think of as respectable media, if they will literally call men women in service of trans activism, there's no reason for me to believe the factual accuracy of anything at all they have to say. And I was looking around on Twitter and I follow the actress Kirstie Alley and boy, is she getting Twitter mobbed because she said that she didn't have an opinion because she doesn't think she can trust anything that's coming through the media. And Twitter likes that. So Twitter put a little box on the side. This is actor, because it's never actress, you know, it has to be actor now. It's going to be about six months until we get to female actor. So the whole thing goes around in a circle. Actress or uh, actor Kirstie Alley um, tweets that she does not want to have an opinion and people discuss it. (laughs) But I do have a couple of things to say about the Ukraine situation. Well, first of all, <laughs> it's anytime something like this comes up, it's it's a, a field day for the virtue signaler. So I've been seeing a lot of this on social media. Let me see if I can get myself appropriately, affectedly emotional. <laughs> can you can you not talk about like whatever issue you're talking about? There's other more important things. People are like dying in Ukraine. Can you guys just like care about that for a second? (laughs) I mean, I was thinking, you know, what can't you apply to this? I should go on Twitter and be like, can you guys stop talking about the environment? People are like literally in funeral homes right now and you're acting like they're not even dead. (laughs) my one suggestion my one suggestion for the ukraine situation well i want to know this um are we going to send social workers over there because i think that caitlin and quinn could have this sorted out real quickly and if we are then let's go already (laughs) all right now let's go to the cdc the department of who gives a shit uh the cdc has released new mask guidance for the american public <laughs> do i have the details yeah here they come <laughs> but it is just this just came out 
Oh, look at that graphic that's on your screen. <laughs> this gave me a chuckle. Um, it says CDC eases mask guidelines for 70% of U.S. And Twitter's little note is, this topic is trending with new CDC. Try new CDC. Now with chunks. <laughs> so this is an article from the newspaper, The Hill. Quote, the Centers for Disease Control and... Okay, I have to stop right there because I want to know, why is it the Centers for Disease Control? Why does it have the royal we? Why isn't it just the Center for Disease Control? It's because they have more than one location. People are... You know, I've even heard people, the, the public health people, they talk about it like it's their nickname for the favorite bar. Well, you know, according to the Centers, you know, the Centers said... <laughs> Sorry, I'll go back to the quote. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Friday significantly eased its mask recommendations, including for schools, as part of a long-awaited updated guidance for dealing with COVID-19. Under the new guidelines, more than 70% of the U.S. population is an area is in an area with low or medium COVID-19 community level meaning masks are not recommended for the general public. Is that so? In areas with a high level, currently about 30% of the U.S. population, masks would still be recommended in indoor public settings and under the medium level. People at higher risk are encouraged to talk to their doctors about wearing a mask. <laughs> really? I wouldn't talk to my doctor about wearing a condom at this point, let alone a mask. Do you believe anything that comes out of a doctor's mouth these days? And if you do, do you know why you believe it? Mm. Back to the article. The new guidelines are based more on preserving hospital capacity than the previous metrics, which focused on sheer case numbers, a reflection of a new phase of dealing with the pandemic as the wave of Omicron infections has declined, which didn't matter anyway because Omicron was a cold like most cases of coronavirus or a bad flu. The new guidance comes after governors across the country, including Democrats, have already announced the easing of mask mandates and as restaurants and bars, even in liberal cities, are packed with people. They're right. But why are, why are we talking like this? Including Democrats, even in liberal cities. Do you see how it's just it, in two years it has become normal and unremarkable to simply link link pure partisanship, your allegiance to a political party with public health questions. It's it. They just say it without remarking on the remarkableness of it. It's just normal now. <sighs> and what is this about preserving hospital capacity? Do you remember in the beginning of this when they were putting up these tent city hospitals, when when hospital ships were being sent to different ports. Do you recall that? Take a minute. I think you can. They didn't use one of them. And yet we were all guilted and told that hospitals were over capacity and staff were traumatized and just like just totally exhausted, guys. We're just exhausted. Then why didn't you open any of these portable hospitals? Don't talk to us about hospital capacity. Again, we, the citizens, do not exist to service the needs of the hospitals or the medical system. The medical system in the hospitals literally exist to service us. Yes, we are not responsible to them. And they're not overflowing anyway. And if they are, send one of those fucking hospital ships. I mean, honestly. A little bit more from the article. Hmm. Quote, we are 
in a stronger place as a nation when it comes to protecting our communities and ourselves against severe disease because our efforts like vaccination, improvements in testing, high quality masks and improved ventilation. And because of living with this virus for two years, the CDC said, no, my dear. We are not in this situation because of any of these behaviors. We are in this situation despite these behaviors because masks did nothing and you know they did nothing. And you're the Centers for Disease Control and yet you lie so confidently and so calmly. And it and you can and you will get away with it because people who read this bullshit, more than half the country, think this is reasonable. The overall risk of severe disease is now generally lower. It's always been low. Still, the virus will continue to circulate in our communities, and we must prevent COVID-19 from overwhelming our hospitals and healthcare systems. And the last quote comes from CDC Director Rochelle Walensky, and if you remember seeing her on the show recently, she's that woman who uh, blinks her eyes really fast and says that um, we're going to be pivoting, we're going to be pivoting the language, and we're going to make sure that everybody gets as up-to-date as they can be and as they should be on their boosters, and we're going to pivot. So she says... There's still uncertainty ahead as to whether new variants of the virus will potentially evade vaccines to a greater extent. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky warned that measures may need to return, quote, should things get worse in the future. Ms. Walensky and CDC, get fucked. Should things get worse in the future. They're just telling you that they're planning to make things worse in the future because this entire thing was, this was a Potemkin pandemic. That's what it was. Theater. And before we go to the first break, I've, I was going to say I've talked, I've bitched repeatedly before about the turn to the narcissistic in advertisements in the names of products, the way that products and services are marketed to us by getting directly at our egos, right at our emotional centers, at our vanity, at our insecurities. Now, that's always been the case, of course. There's nothing new about that. But it's it's so sharp and it's so focused, it seems to me, for at least the past 10 years. You notice it in the way things are named. You know, you go to your, you want to go and pay your bills and you go to your bank and you don't just type in Chase Bank. It's something like, you know, my Chase Banking Online or, you know, my collection of recipes and everything is bespoke and personal. And you're, you're told how unique you are, you know, that you're a trailblazer. You're not like other people. You are because most of us are very like everyone else. Came across this one, this advertisement. And it's so obnoxious. So for those of you who cannot see uh, the screen, the photograph is of a young woman. I would say she's about 25, 26 years old, maybe up to 30. Vaguely Latina looking, of course, um, because that's the only people who can be in advertisements right now are non-white people. And she's sitting there on a chair And every visual cue of the narcissistic and aggressive stance is being used in this photograph. First of all, she's got she's got a slightly challenging and smug look on her face like I'm a badass bitch and she's man spreading. She's got her legs all the way far apart. This is very clearly using um, imagery. This is girl boss imagery, right? I can man spread, too. I'm a big art investor. I'm slick. So the copy says, this fintech, oh my God, financial technology, this fintech startup is disrupting the $1.7 trillion art market, giving everyday investors access to art by Cause, Banksy, and Coons. Who the fuck are these people? I know who Banksy is. Cause, K-A-W-S, and Coons, K-O-O-N-S. Who is this? 
No need to spend millions at an auction. Now you can invest in fine art without breaking the bank. And the legend across the whole thing is you are a masterwork. No, you're not. You're a stock photo model. Come back after the break and I'll tell you the story about how Kevin and I got kicked out of two places for being bad about masks last week. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at Disaffected P, that's Disaffected and the letter P, for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at Disaffected Pod. Welcome back. If you haven't heard before, um, Twitter didn't like our last account and said that we uh, harass people and endorse violence against protected groups because, of course, we do. So they banned us. So we made a new account. Um, just show announcements. Our account on Twitter is at Disaffected P. Sounds like our hip hop name, doesn't it? We're Disaffected P. Um, that's Disaffected in the letter P. But if you want to have fun and a little bit of sass, come over to Getter where we are, are at Disaffected Pod. So, Kevin came to stay with me this week in Vermont for a few days. We had some business to do. We ran some errands, went to pick up some equipment, and we cut up a little bit. We got into a little bit of trouble because we were bad. We were really, really bad. We got kicked out of two places because we wouldn't wear masks. So, we first, we wanted coffee. So, well, here, here's the deal. Kevin really wanted to do this. I wasn't, I was like, eh, okay. But then I got into it. Kevin wanted to, to test the waters and see if people would kick us out if we went to a place that had a mask mandate, a town or, or a place. So we decided to stop at Starbucks because of, I mean, you know how Starbucks is, right? I mean, they do all the gender shit. They're woke, 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 woke. So we go into Starbucks and we don't have our masks on and we stand in line for about 30 seconds and move up to the counter to the ordering area. And we ordered, he asked for a coffee. I asked for a cup of tea. And then this guy, um, employee comes over and says, well, he reaches into a box and pulls out two of those um, face panties uh, the blue paper ones, um, you know, the ones that are the color of period water. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm going to have to ask you guys to put a mask on. And Kevin said, no, thank you. He didn't know what to say to that. And I said, no. Well, it, yeah, guys, but um, it's town policy. And Kevin said, I, no, thank you. And I said, I don't care. I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> and I want you to understand that throughout this story that I'm going to tell you, neither one of us screamed at anybody. Nobody actually raised their voice loud enough to yell. I got assertive, but I didn't scream. I didn't yell. And I didn't use any cuss words either. I saved that for you. I wasn't planning on doing this, but at that moment, I had had e-fucking-nuff of this. It's been two years of this shit. And I just said to the counter worker, have you ever said no? Have any of you, because there's three of you standing back there looking at me wide-eyed, I know because, you know, you're not expecting someone to ever say no to you. Have you ever stood up for yourselves? Have you ever pushed back at management? Is there any order you have been given that you had a problem with and that you objected to? Do you ever stand up for yourselves? 
and they're looking at me. I mean, I don't know if their mouths are open or not because, of course, I can't see their faces. But they're all standing there just looking like like I've said the craziest thing. And then I turned around to my real audience. These are the people that I really wanted to address. The patrons standing around in the ordering section. Probably about 10 people all wearing their masks and their Lululemons and their little kids with their little masks and dad wearing his mask. And I just said, and all of you, all of you standing around looking at the guy who's making a scene, because I can tell exactly what you're thinking. Do any of you have any dignity? Do any of you have any self-respect or any self-possession? Is there anything that an authority will tell you that you will say no to? How much of this are you going to put up with before you say no? Are you adults? Why are you wearing masks? Why are you doing it? When are you going to take them off? I probably took about 25, 30 seconds. And we did leave. We were asked to leave and we did. I didn't leave immediately. I took that 30 seconds to address my my fellow customers. But we did leave the store. Then we went over to the music and electronics store uh, because we needed a piece of recording equipment. And we go in and we spend about three or four minutes going through the store, looking at everything. Nobody is saying a word to us. Then we go over to the uh, the glass cases. Kevin is asking about microphones and recording equipment. The young woman behind the counter was very helpful, explained the difference between this model and this one, said, let me know. I'll take anything out of the case you need. We can take it out of the box. You can look at it. Perfectly pleasant, normal business interaction. Kevin selects a device, and we go stand in line to pay. And we get up there, and they start ringing us up. And um, employee number two comes over. He comes over as backup. The guy ringing us up at the register, of course, didn't want to say anything because this is a dangerous situation that needed uh, a second officer on the scene. And uh, Blondie with a beard, you know, like most guys, 22 to 24 in Vermont, he looks like he's either a refugee from the cast of Jesus Christ Superstar or he just came from a fish concert. And he he gets there and he stands like this on the counter. He's like, okay, um, guys, I'm going to have to ask you to put a mask on. So again, Kevin said, no, thank you. And I just said, no. And he looks at me. <laughs> don't, unstru- don't underestimate the power of the word no. It astonishes people. Can have fun with this. When we live in a society that doesn't respect boundaries anymore, people are flummoxed by the word no. Well, you know, it is the town policy and we have to ask you. And I said, I know you asked me. And my answer is no. I'm not wearing a mask. Mind you, Kevin's card is already in the credit card reader. We were already in the middle of completing this financial transaction. What are they going to do? Stop the transaction, lose the sale, and tell us to walk the three feet out the door away from the cash register? For what? Then some of the other employees start milling around. They're all staring, of course. They're all staring silently because they're terrified. You know, what if I go off? What if I've got a gun? I'm sure some of them were thinking this. And an older guy, and I I guess, I don't know, I thought he was a manager because he was looked to be about 55, 60 years old, whereas the rest of the staff was very young. He walks by and looks at me with his mask on. And he's such a pussy, too. Couldn't even say it to my face. Walks by, and as soon as he walks by... Well, that's just great, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, Mildred, it's just great, isn't it? (laughs) So Kevin finished the sale. And again, like I was on the balcony of the Casa Rosada addressing the Descomisados, I said, all of you patrons standing around staring at us here, what are you doing? Why are you all wearing masks? Most of you are in your 20s. Why are you doing this? Do you know why? Have you even asked yourselves? Do you understand that they don't work? Do you understand they don't prevent virus transmission? Why are you all wearing masks and why are you all staring at me? Have you never seen anyone say no? 
Don't you want to get back to normal? I want to get back to normal. The only way we get back to normal is if you stop this. Be an adult. Say no. Join me. And then we left. And you're just going to have to take my word for it because I can't prove it to you. Because we didn't have the recording device yet, did we? As Kevin reminded me. But the tone of voice that I'm using right now is the tone of voice that I was using in public. Assertive? Yeah. A little bit confrontational? Yes. Not screaming, not yelling, not abusive. Assertive. And then I made a mistake. I told the story on Twitter. (laughs) There are some lessons I never learn, and this is one of them. Uh, There are some stories you cannot tell on social media. So I'm going to take you through... Uh, an abbreviated version of what a Twitter pylon looks like. If you haven't been in one before, this and and this is a small one. I would estimate at the end of the night, this was, I don't know, three, four days ago, somebody retweeted one of my tweets about this, uh, some big account with hundreds of thousands of followers, which is why I got as much uh, response as I did. I would say probably somewhere between Seven or 800 uh, responses uh, came into my account within a couple of hours. Uh, it gets a little overwhelmed. I mean, you can't, you know, I wouldn't even want to respond to all of them, but I, I picked some representative ones to show you how people went off. So let's start with, um, actually what really set them off was the response. So I told the story in a series of about four tweets. And one of my mutual followers, a guy named Sam Rosenthal, said this. I've done the same thing and also have a friend who works at a restaurant who strongly disagrees with me because people doing this make her job harder. I understand her position, but as more time passes, I fall farther and farther into your position. My response was my mistake. And I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some of these people a little bit of credit because there's no context. They don't know me. These things get put in front of people with no before and no after. And standing by itself, the way I phrased it, probably sounds harsher than than it would have otherwise. So some of this is simply the structure of how this works. Here's what I said. I mean to make her job harder. Remember, I'm talking about his friend, so this is a hypothetical for me, right? His friend is a waitress. I mean to make her job harder. I mean for her to feel the pressure. I mean for it to force her to find a way to deal with it, which might mean speaking up for herself. No, I'm not sorry. Yes, I've been a waiter too. Her feelings are not the most important. And I stand by this. I don't think that anyone should be abused, and I didn't abuse anyone. I said no, and it made him a little uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is okay. Do you know that? I noticed something at least 15 years ago. I remember talking to my friend Kathy about this when I was still an NPR listener. The liberal left's most terrifying words seem to be uncomfortable and inappropriate. That's really inappropriate. That's making me uncomfortable. Listen to how soft and nelly we've gotten. Inappropriate and uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. And as a matter of fact, the world wouldn't work if we weren't uncomfortable sometimes. Being uncomfortable motivates change. It's not a sin to make people uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, le deluge, my friends. You could see, it was very interesting, you can see the narrative creation happen in real time on social media. And the narrative creation was, because I'm standing on the customer side of the counter and this other person is standing on the worker side, I'm a privileged white guy, I'm privileged and I have power, and they are low, almost in chains, and I'm abusing them. So there has to be a victim and an oppressor. This is how these people think. And it's not only the leftists, because of course most of the people who came after me are probably leftists, I can't know for sure. But some of my mutuals uh, didn't like it either. And these are people who uh, largely agree with me on a lot of uh, the woke excesses in these things. But some of them who who still think of themselves as leftists, they can't get this emotional bias out of their head. 
they still believe in the victim-oppressor narrative. Every interaction to them, and they'll object. I've, I've put this in front of them, and they'll no, I don't think that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You can say that you don't think that, but your actions and your words show that you do. Right? So there's an unbridgeable divide here. I, a guy who works for a nonprofit and has a 150-year-old tiny little cottage in bad need of a paint job, am apparently a robber baron compared to somebody who works at Starbucks. Best response first. Rory says to me, I doubt you've been a, quote, waiter, because actual, quote, waiters call themselves servers, she puts in all caps. <laughs> Oh, Rory, my sweet summer child. This is what I mean when I talk about young people who don't believe that anything existed in the world before they were born. This one actually thinks I'm lying because nobody who really ever worked in the restaurant industry would ever call themselves a waiter and they all call themselves servers. Well, I don't and I didn't, sweetheart. Because when I started waiting tables in the early to mid 90s and I spent about 12 years doing it, that's when they, they did the server thing. You know where that came from? That came from corporate America. It came from HR. They forced it on us. Your servers, your servers, you're not waiters and waitresses, your service, because it's sexist to say waitress. That, well, they said it's sexist to say waiter and waitress. That's not what they meant. It's just sexist to say waitress, because, like, why should you distinguish? I can still carry food. It's sexist to have a name that is feminine or a name that is masculine. <laughs> Next one comes from um, Milf Extraordinaire, which I think means she's a self-regarding slut. And she said, I hope she shit in your food. Remember, there wasn't any real waitress here. This is a hypothetical. House of Coup Indictments, <laughs> that's the username, with three vaccine syringes said, would you also support her right not to wash her hands after using the restroom and then make her food? That's retarded. <laughs> so stupid. Entwife. <laughs> mm. I think that's from, is that some Lord of the Rings shit? There's a lot of that going around lately. She says, she also has three vaccine um, syringe emojis. She says, they are wearing masks because they wanted to. They're not stunned to hear it. They are stunned by your grandstanding, not wanting to get involved. There's nothing wrong with them. It's you that's the asshole. Maybe it is. Windsor Horn Lockwood III... <laughs> <laughs> said, this is exactly the same entitled attitude that fueled the truckers' belief that a minority could dictate to the majority by being loud and obnoxious. In other words, our modern-day G-O-P. <laughs> Grilled cheese. Age ain't nothing but a number, said, <laughs> I love this one, of all the things that never happened, this never happened the most. You know what I like about that? I think she really means it. I think she really does find the story I told um, unbelievable. Because there are so many people who have lived their entire lives never dealing directly, straightforwardly, or candidly with other people. They live and speak in a state of perpetual passive aggression. They really do think that this kind of normal public pushback doesn't happen. Because she's so terrified to ever contemplate saying anything like that in public, she doesn't believe anyone else does. Wow. <laughs> Another good one. Um, some of the insults were actually funny. Joe is me said, um, so you're a virgin. Thanks for the confirmation. <laughs> okay. That, was, that wasn't very good. Let me tell you a good insult. I'm going to break away here. This one was so good. 
I wish I knew who this person was because they need to write for the show. So you remember a few weeks ago we had an episode with Alan Dershowitz on, and a lot of people didn't like that because they don't like Alan Dershowitz. Somebody left absolutely the funniest insult that has ever been spoken to me. I, I adored it. He said, Jesus, Paul Lynn's brother filleting Alan Dershowitz. Will the misery never cease? <laughs> My friend, whoever you are, even if you hate me, I love you because that is top quality bitchery. And if you are that person out there, I want to talk to you and you can come on the show and actually insult me because you're goddamn funny. Send me an email, us at disaffected.fm. Okay, so moving through these, uh, Chris Brown says... How brave attacking the least paid personnel who have zero say about corporate policy and will be the first to be fired for not following it. All because of three layers of cloth that my four and seven year old wear eight hours a day with zero complaints. They, Your four and seven year old are going to be talking to me in a few years. And then to a therapist. My God. James Nagel said, Bullying an hourly employee following their boss's instructions makes you feel proud to be an American. Yup. MAGA has legitimized militant narcissism. Elizabeth Stack, You are a narcissistic bully and a truly revolting person. Starbucks should have called the cops on you. For what? I didn't do anything. And I left when they asked me to. Was it the extra 30 seconds? Is that why I need to be in jail? And here we go. Yeah, we're coming up to the end of this. Genevieve said, sociopath with a strong whiff of borderline personality disorder, craves the negative attention, delights in the drama and being the center of conflict. Insatiable block. King Zilch, whose pronouns are he, him, When I didn't see <laughs> when I didn't see pronouns in the bios of any of these people, I kept saying to myself, "The pronouns are silent." I said, "This is how serial killers talk," <laughs> and then, and that's how sexual predators talk. I don't know if he was talking to me or my friend, uh, who was also in in the conversation. But the hyperbole, right? People say I'm melodramatic, and they say it all the time. But I tell you what really, and we're coming up to the break here, but I'm going to go a little bit over. This is an example of one of my mutual followers on Twitter um, who I think can't let go of the narrative that these interactions are victim and oppressor, master and slave, right? This is Aaron Terrell, and Aaron says, Nothing to do, oh, because I, I put a tweet out and I said, you know, you guys are criticizing me for throwing my privilege around. You have no idea who I am. Uh, it makes no difference to you that I've done working class jobs a lot of my life too and that I'm not rich. So this is a response to me saying, you know, you guys are criticizing me on privilege grounds. Aaron says, nothing to do with scales of privilege. Frontline retail jobs are awful. Two years ago, they got at least twice as awful when they had to start wearing masks for the entire shift, as well as confront customers who are only in there 10 to 30 minutes about masks. I feel for them. <sighs> but you don't feel for me. You don't feel for the children. You don't feel for the rest of us who are being bossed around invasion of the body snatcher style. No, you gotta you gotta just feel for these poor counterworkers. Do you know how much these poor counterworkers are getting paid around here right now? Fifteen to eighteen dollars. Not a king's ransom, but it's more than double minimum wage. Oppression. So I said, and this is what I think about all of this. Your feelings are leading you away from considering what is at stake. What I see as a necessarily confrontational act of compassion, you see as abuse. I see the, the citizenry swallowing of these dictates 
as abusive, and I want to free them. I don't know what you want. And I mean that. I know what I want. I want people to join me. I don't think I'm above these people. I think these people are terrified, and I want them to be not terrified along with me. Okay? Before we take a break, I want to remind you, subscribe on audio. We are doing uh, three times a week audio-only content in addition to this TV show. You will not get that on YouTube. You won't get it anywhere else. The only way you'll get it is by subscribing on your podcast app. And we're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Come, Come back after the break. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at disaffected P, that's disaffected and the letter P, for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, Come see us on Getter at Disaffected Pod. Welcome back. I'd like to ask you to support the show. This costs money. We'd like to be able to pay for it, and we really, really appreciate the help. Those of you who join to support our show will get invited to our patron and donor only. Zoom hangouts. They're unscripted, unrecorded, off the record. We get to talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. They happen every month. There are two ways to do this. Patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. And I'm going to lay the guilt on a little bit. I have had a ruinously expensive time with my teeth and an emergency extraction this week. And I need another implant. If you donate, my teeth will really, really thank you. Don't you want to help? <laughs> okay. A little bit of viewer mail from Mark, who is a friend of the show. He He's in Minneapolis. Um, and he was reacting to the Twitter pile-on about service workers. And Mark said, I'm a front-facing service worker. We love people like you that try to end this mask stuff. We hate wearing masks for eight hours a day. When someone comes in without a mask, I absolutely do have agency to ignore them. I am in no way forced to be a police officer. That's on them. Take your order and move on. They can absolutely do that. And no, you are not abusing me. The liberals abuse me by not funding the police and making my job one million times harder by allowing criminals to come in and do whatever they want. Hearing a lot of that from people in the city. Thank you, Mark. So after invoking Canada's Emergencies Act for the first time in Canada's history to deal with protesting truckers, Justin Trudeau is singing a different tune this week. Take a listen. Our third principle. We were very clear that the use of the Emergencies Act would be limited in time. When we invoked it, it would be in place for up to 30 days. But we said that we would lift it as soon as possible. We've held updates and briefs with ministers and officials every day, often multiple times a day. And today... After careful consideration, we're ready to confirm that the situation is no longer an emergency. Therefore, the federal government will be ending the use of the Emergencies Act. We are confident that existing laws and bylaws are now sufficient to keep people safe. Of course, we'll continue to be there to support provincial and local authorities if and when needed. Oh, boy. It's good that he backed down. It's good that he realized what kind of political trouble he was getting in. But Canada, you in danger, girl. This isn't over. 
the fact that the Emergencies Act exists is a problem for you, and it is going to become a problem for you again. The precedent has now been set. It is going to be invoked again. I don't know whether it'll be Trudeau or someone else, but you are again going to face a situation where if the government does not like your political views, they are going to seize your bank account. That's what they are doing. You're not safe. It's not okay that they decided to stop abusing you. You have got to take your government back. Good luck. And we talked earlier in the show about the CDC loosening its mask guidelines. I want to point out again, these are suggestions, guidelines. They're not orders. They don't have the force of law. They're not legal mandates. The CDC doesn't have any legal control over you or over your state's governor or over your state's legislature or over your public school system. They are not the boss of you. But people don't want to let the masks go. They're clinging to them because they like it. They like what it does for them. They like that it's a political and religious symbol. Oh, they deny it's religious, but it's completely cult religion on the left. Let's turn to America's universities to see how they're responding. This is allegedly from University of California at Berkeley. I have no reason to believe it isn't. I just couldn't immediately confirm that's where this screenshot came from, but I believe it. (laughs) Quote. Yeah, I'm going to do the voice for this one, too. Okay. The campus leadership recognizes that it's hard to adjust to the reality of masks no longer being required, even if they're still recommended in some settings. That's why our campus will be one of the last places in the Bay Area to still require masks prior to when our mandate is lifted on March 7th. These changes are indeed difficult, and I encourage anyone who would feel more comfortable wearing a mask to continue to do so. But I also encourage you to grapple with the fact that the consensus within the public health community is that it is no longer necessary to mandate masking. Throughout the pandemic, we've had to make several similar adjustments, and many were just as hard. In each instance, the wisdom of our public health committee in evaluating and implementing the prevailing public health guidance has served us well, and I continue to believe that this transition is the appropriate next stop for our campus. (laughs) kill me now (laughs) I don't know how I would have reacted if my school's president had had written something like this when I was in college in 1995 I just it's Everything, everything about modern life seems to be this in loco parentis relationship that adults are in with their public schools, adult college students with with the administration of their college, adults out on the street, people with families who are listening to what Brandon tells them to do. Nobody's a grown up anymore. Oh, I can't, I, I just can't stand it. I can't stand it. I have an article here from Where Else? The Atlantic. Here's the headline. Mask mandates are illogical. So what? They only need to align with community's goals. Communities communities. Quote, 
When the mayor of Washington, D.C. announced changes to the city's mask mandate last week, spit hit the fan. (laughs) As of March 1st, district residents will need to cover up in order to attend school, go to a library, or ride in a taxi. But gyms, sports arenas, concert venues, and houses of worship, you know, all the places where people like to breathe hard or sing and shout in close proximity, will be facial free-for-alls. That sounds X-rated. If the goal of mask policies is to reduce transmission of the coronavirus as much as possible, then D.C.'s new rules are difficult to reason out. Why should children, who are generally at low risk of severe disease, have to mask while sitting quietly in class when their more vulnerable elders can sing unmasked in church? It seems arbitrary, inconsistent, absurd. Yet seems that way because it is, Rachel Gutman, senior associate editor of The Atlantic. Back to Rachel. Then again... So does just about every community mask mandate. If the rules don't apply equally in different settings, they're unfair. If they do, they're ridiculous. Good luck complying in a restaurant, bar, or airport food court. Pointing out the logical flaws in mask mandates is easy. Fixing them is hard and important. No, it's not. No, it's not hard. Get rid of them. They don't need to be fixed. They're not even legal. Stop it. Stop trying to hold this up. Stop propping this up. Cases may be trending down in nearly every part of the United States, but this surge will almost certainly not be our last. How do you know that? Just as Omicron will almost certainly not be the last variant to infect the world. When infection rates begin to rise again, local and state governments can try to implement mask policies that actually make sense to the people being ordered around. It's almost like she doesn't see a problem with people being ordered around. That that was just unremarkable. If it just makes sense to them, you just tell them why you're running their lives. That'll be okay. (laughs) It all feels rather performative and silly. Why have a mandate if it can be so easily ignored? Quote, the public sees right through that, and I think that's led to a lot of backlash, Joseph Allen, the director of Harvard's Healthy Buildings program, told me. To Allen, mask mandates, contradictions, and compliance failures are signs that the U.S. should stop trying so hard to influence human behavior and start focusing on improving ventilation and filtration in buildings. I'm with him most of the way. Yes! Your entire goddamn field needs to be put back in a box, public health. You should not only stop trying to influence human behavior, you should be prevented from doing it building ventilation. Give me a break. I know, I know, there are some really old buildings out there that don't have the right air exchange rate, and he has a really good point, and blah, 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 blah. No. The point of all of this is being excessively scared over a disease that has already mutated itself into a cold. Give me a break. But even disregarded man... I love this part. I love this part. But even disregarded mandates could affect other people could affect people in other helpful ways. Quote, from my perspective, the main benefit is not so much the masking itself, but the message to society that this wave is not yet over. Johns Hopkins epidemiologist David Doughty told me. A mask mandate may not magically swaddle the faces of everyone in its jurisdiction, but it could remind already enthusiastic maskers to avoid large gatherings or lead non-maskers to give the people around them a little more space. Fuck you. Fuck your nudging. Fuck your manipulation. Do you see that they tell you right out? They don't have to be embarrassed because you don't you don't make any danger for them. You're not a threat to them. You're compliant. 
I'm going to read it again. From my perspective, the main benefit is not so much the masking itself, but the message to society. These are your betters. These are the people you're listening to. They're telling you right now they don't care about the physical fact of whether you have the mask over your face. What they care about is the signal it sends. They care about how it shows that you are cooperating with control. The author has some other helpful suggestions about how to do mask mandates better. Mask mandates are easier to enforce in highly controlled environments such as schools. Mm -hmm. A particular state's cities or values in political makeup matter for compliance, too. Mm -hmm. The other 30-something percent of the American public likely includes people who have lost faith in mask mandates that don't seem to make sense. Stop saying don't seem. It's not that they appear not to make sense. They don't make sense. The way for decision makers to earn back trust, Kirk Sell told me, is by listening to each community, taking their needs seriously, and tailoring policies to fit them. A town whose top priorities are keeping schools open and local businesses afloat could mandate masks and testing in schools but allow adults to go mask-free in bars, which students can avoid. Notice how she colludes with the goals of these lunatics and authoritarians in public health. She's not simply reporting what they say. She wants to help them because they all do on the liberal left. It's about getting your trust back. That's important. We want you to trust us again so that you'll obey us again. Maybe we can do that by making, by tailoring policies to fit you. Go to mymask.com. Don't you like how it's personal for you? Are you thinking about how it impacts your life? Last quote. A town that wants to avoid straining its hospitals might flatten the curve by enforcing mask requirements in high-capacity settings such as concert halls and sports arenas. If rules are going to be applied unevenly with mask mandates in some locations but not others, the tightest restrictions should apply in buildings such as grocery stores, workplaces, post offices, and schools, says Anna Sosin, a public health expert at Dartmouth College. Flush her. Okay. We're coming up to the end here. And we're going to say goodbye to somebody who was a good friend of the show. Her name was Peggy Lures. Peggy was a legend around Burlington, Vermont. I knew Peggy. Kevin, Kevin Hurley, the producer on the show, uh, was a closer friend to Peggy and knew her for many years longer than I did. But I, I knew Peggy. I know her son. Um, Peggy was a lesbian feminist, a radical lesbian feminist, and one of the most fearless people anyone around here has ever met. She practically built the lesbian and gay community in Burlington during the 1980s. She died recently. I think she was in her 70s. This is a woman who never backed down. No matter how unpopular her positions were, she didn't back down. She wasn't quiet. She wouldn't sit down when she was told to do so. She disobeyed. And she set a hell of an example doing it. I remember having lunch with Peggy about two to three years ago in downtown Burlington, talking about what we, we homosexuals were going to do about the trans incursion. And as we talked at this restaurant, people at other tables were giving us dirty looks. And a young woman, about 26 years old, who identified herself as a social worker, wonder if she's over in Ukraine right now rescuing those tender breasts of chicken with a pocket of herbed butter, proceeded to lecture us in the middle of this coffee shop about how we had no right to have these views and how we were harassing and abusing other people by discussing this in public. 
<laughs> Peggy didn't take her shit and I didn't either. Um, Peggy had developed quite a following among leftist activists. Obviously, I don't agree with her on everything. There was a lot I agreed with her on, but there was a lot I disagreed with her on too. And we ended up not being friends on Facebook because I told her to go fuck herself. <laughs> That didn't mean we stopped speaking. I invited her to Thanksgiving. She just couldn't come. She lost a lot of friends when she stood up for women's rights against so-called trans women being in locker rooms, um, being in women's shelters. A lot of the people who treated her as an icon abandoned her. But she didn't stop. Right up until the end, she didn't stop. And some of those people who abandoned her had the absolute nerve to affect, to be upset and want to know where they could visit her before she died. <laughs> well, she's gone. And she stood her ground and she set an example that we should all follow. We need this kind of disobedience. Godspeed, Peggy Lors.